All right, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for just uh, your presence, for your anointing. God, that just invades, that empowers, that breaks through and causes us to see things from your perspective. And we just ask, God, that you just be present. We just declare your peace over the babies and um, for them to have an enjoyable night tonight and for us to be able to hear everything that you have for us. Uh, We just thank you for that. We give you honor and glory and praise for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that, um, that nothing is impossible for us who believe. And I just pray that that most holy faith would be stirred in our hearts, that it would be encouraged, that we would be built up, and that we would um, that everything that we do, we would do it in faith. And we just thank you, Father, for just um, causing your word to come alive as we talk about it tonight, and that um, we would not only just hear it, but we would become doers of it, uh, just really activating the power that that word has for us. And we just thank you for your grace and empowerment and. Um, there's absolutely nothing impossible for us again. That's so very true. And may that be ingrained in our hearts that we won't look at obstacles and circumstances and let those overwhelm us, but we would overwhelm those things with our belief in you, our trust in you. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had, I had a couple thoughts, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weed through them, <laughs> kind of go through there and, and see where we, what we find in the dirt <laughs> as we uncover some stuff. Um, one of my thoughts this week as I was just kind of praying and just seeking the Lord, um, <clears throat> this may be more personal than anything, and so we'll just, I'll I kind of be transparent and open with you about just stuff that I've been thinking and going through. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I've seen, um, you know, even like when we went to the fire conference and so forth, um, I was struck with such a need that we have as a body to continually mature and develop. There's such a need for us to do that, that when we quit um, engaging the Lord, when we quit pursuing Him, or we feel like we've arrived, or we feel like we've achieved the goal that maybe we have set uh, for ourselves, how we can become static, how we can become um, just... Aggressive maybe is not the right word, but yet it is in the fact that we, we, we're no longer aggressive to pursue those things. And um, how easy it is for us to fall asleep, to slumber, and to lose sight of the greater picture. And um, I was, we were talking with a gentleman who's there at the Brownsville Revival and um, been an integral part of the worship team and so forth. And, um, and, and in that conversation, you know, he had mentioned just how that how the revival kind of waned towards the end and um, how they really felt like they had achieved something. They had, they had, they had encountered God. They, they received the glory of God. And I, I made a statement to him that, um, that kind of just came up in my spirit. And then afterwards, I, it, it stirred in my heart throughout the rest of the, the evening and the next day. And um, the, the, the thing that I was saying was, you know, a lot of times when we... We're hungry, we're pursuing God, we, we set a goal of God if I just encounter you, or God if you'll just do this, or if I'll get breakthrough in this particular area, or you know, whatever measurement we set as a goal of something that we feel like we've achieved success in. Um, and, and it's good to get goals. In third year we talk a lot about your mission, you talk about goals, setting goals, and going after things and pursuing things. Um, but I think sometimes what happens is if we don't have a real clear vision of who, where we're going, and who we are, and what we're to do in life, and, and the bigger picture, if you will, 
that sometimes our goals can become the bigger picture. In achieving them, it, we, we sit back and relax and feel like, okay, I got this, or I arrived somewhere. And, we, and goals were never meant to be the thing that, you're, you're, in other words, you're, um, your life is not to be measured by goals. Goals help to measure if you're pursuing the vision. You know what I'm saying? And um, I think sometimes we have a tendency that when we, shit, when we set goals and we achieve or we see those goals achieved, um, we slow down. And, and usually in that place of seeing goals met is when we become the most vulnerable to the enemy. We become the most vulnerable to distractions. We become the most vulnerable to um, things that would pull us away from the call of God in our lives, things that would pull us away and um, entice us to go after other things. And um, I just really felt like it was really important that as a people, you know, even as Bible college students, that, you know, you're, you, you're about to achieve a goal and you'll be graduating um, in January and you'll have finished two years of you know, pursuing God, getting the Word of God in your heart, you know, letting God dig deep and go after stuff. And how there's a tendency after we've achieved something like that that we feel, we just kind of okay now I can just rest and really there's no vacation in the kingdom we you know the vacation is we're meant to live in a place of rest and that's in that place of security in His presence it's that place of pouring into Him pressing into Him it's in that place of faith that we're able to enter into rest and rest um, is is so very vital to us living by living the life of faith. I mean, rest is a product of the life of faith. And um, and so, you know, it's interesting in Hebrews, and we'll just flip there real quick, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about, um, you know, ultimately, all of Hebrews, we're talking about how, how much greater Jesus is and how we can put our trust in Jesus and we can put our faith in Him and follow Him. And um, He uses, um, in verse 5, it says, Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. This is why the Holy Spirit says today, when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience. Even though my, they saw my miracles for 40 years, Years, so I was angry with them, and I said, "Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them." So, in my anger, I took an oath: they will never enter my place of rest. Be careful, then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. We will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says today. When you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard His voice? Wasn't it the people Moses let out? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpse lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when He took an oath that they would never enter His rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed Him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into His rest. And so... Was there a struggle with the children of Israel? Did they have a struggle? Yes. But did God meet them at that place every time? Absolutely. You know, when they were hungry, He fed them manna from heaven. When they were thirsty, He opened rocks up and, and, 
And so while there was a struggle of not necessarily sure of where they were going, what they were doing, there was some very clear things that, that they had from the beginning that they lost sight of. The very clear thing was what? They were going to the wilderness for what? What was the purpose? To worship God, right? That was what Moses declared to, to Pharaoh, let them go into the wilderness so they can worship God. Okay, And so the point was to come into a place of submission to God. And of course we know worship is, is, is being prostrate before the Lord, yielding to Him, surrendering to Him. It's, as you read later on in, in, um, or over in Romans where it says, give your body as a living sacrifice, which is, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. Um, and so we have this place of worship It was the goal. Our life is meant to, be, to worship Him. Everything that we do is for the purpose of worshiping Him. And, um, and that's, what, that's really why one of the main core values that we have as an organization is to, is to value the presence of God. It's really at the core of everything that we do. And like Moses, we've made the declaration even in class to you that I don't want to go anywhere unless His presence is going. You know, it's with, because my, my goal is not to do all the things that the world says you have to do to be successful. Even what churchianity, if you will, says that you have to do to be successful. Now, my goal is to live and breathe and have my being in His presence. To know Him, to worship Him, to be yielded to and submitted to Him completely. And so, that goal cannot be achieved in a one-time encounter. It can only be achieved in a lifetime of encounters and a life, life pursuit of Him. And because of who He is, that he's, He is uh, multifaceted, He is... He is um, full of wisdom, full of just He's so big and so amazing and, and there's it takes all of eternity for us to get to know Him. I never arrived to a place where I fulfilled my place of worship. You know what I'm saying? That, that even going into eternity, what am I doing? I'm still in the place of worshiping Him, right? And so that, that is like a, that's a greater vision. That's even maybe what you'd call like a long-term goal, an objective that I'm continually pursuing. And do I reach that goal? Yes, every day I reach that goal by yielding to Him. But that goal is refreshed anew every single day. That every day my goal is to locate the presence of God. And of course, it li it's in you. It's with you. He's there. He's present. But it is to become so aware of Him that... I can move what's going on in the invisible realm, in the spirit realm, and manifest it in the natural. And so, the children of Israel, they had some other goals in mind. Their goals were to get out of Egypt, to not be slaves. Their goals were to feed their belly. Their goals were to have some meat instead of manna. You know, They had some different goals, and their goals were set by what was going on in their hearts, their desire, their flesh. And, you know, it says here, it says, um, if you go back up, um, verse 12, it says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, and make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So we've got to warn each other while it is today. Notice the emphasis on today. That today, and Jesus made this emphasis about today, that don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough worries for itself. What was he saying there? Let go of the anxiety of, of other things and focus today on what's important. And of course, 
later on in that chapter when Jesus was talking about what did He say was important. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Right? And His way of doing things. What? And all these things will be added to you. What were the, all the things? It was all those things that distracted the children of Israel from the bigger picture. That distracted them that they were given the opportunity today to meet with God. And I love the Scripture that says, Today, when you hear my voice, or, excuse me, today, you know, answer the call of salvation today. While you hear it, while it's near, answer it. And it's really important that we recognize that um, I, I, don't, I can't ever, ever can I operate in faith based on a word for tomorrow. Or on a hope for some future word tomorrow. That faith operates in the here and the now. It's hope. Now hope is future tense in the expectation of something coming that's good. You know what I'm saying? And, and faith is the substance of things hoped for. But faith operates in the now. It's right now. Today. And to try to activate faith in what you saw yesterday for today is, is going to put a pressure on your faith that it's incapable of doing. Because faith is based on the here and the now. While things that happen can encourage you, can encourage your faith, it doesn't create faith. It's in the hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And notice hearing is present tense, ongoing hearing. Hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. How does faith come? By continual hearing. And um, what happened with them? He said, he said that their own hearts were evil and unbelieving. They They... Quit believing and trusting Him. What, what did they do? What, why was that? In other words, other things began to pull at their hearts and distract them. And they listened to the voice of their flesh. We talked about that, I think, in the couple classes before. They listened to the voice of their flesh. They listened to the voice of reasoning. They listened to other voices that pulled them away from hearing the voice that produces faith. How does, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, um, and so because of that, the Scripture declares that they were evil and unbelieving. Why? Because they listened to another voice. Ultimately, that's what he did, right? Because if you read this whole context, what's he talking about? Verse 7, this is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. How did they test God in the wilderness? They tested him by not hearing what he said and obeying what he said. There's a real test for God when he's showing showing up, speaking, doing all that he's done, and you continue to ignore him. It's a test. You know, God gets tested too. He gets tested by our continual listening to other things. And, And thankfully that his mercy is new every morning. You know, thankfully... Um, you know, how much mercy He extends towards us. But we don't want to live our lives on the, on the premise of mercy. We want to live our lives empowered by grace. But grace, we can only receive grace through faith. Faith is what activates the grace of God. So we put, that, you know, Jesus was a grace gift to the, to the world. He was the initial grace gift to the world. He came full of truth, full of grace. And He died on the cross so that grace could be released to humanity. And he rose again. Yet, 
the grace that came through what Jesus did on the cross cannot be received except through faith. If you don't put your faith and confidence in Jesus, then all that grace has no impact on your life. Are you following me? And so in the same, in the same measure, we don't want to allow the other voices... This is a beautiful context here. You know what I'm saying? You've got two voices. To hear the right voice, you know what I'm saying? To be able to, to take it. Because there are all these other distractions that are continually swirling around you. That are vying for your attention and wanting to captivate your heart. And a lot of times we talk about the, the things captivating your heart as being evil stuff. But it could be simple stuff like the children of Israel were dealing with. Food. Shelter. The continual wandering. You know, when are we going to get there? It's interesting to me that that there was some very divine moments in their life, that first first generation that was out of Egypt, that they absolutely rejected the voice of God. You know, He invited them to come up to His presence. They ran. Moses is the only one that entered, him and Joshua. They They sent the spies into the land. And they, instead of listening to the, top, the two that said they would, they listened to the ten that said you couldn't. So again, they rejected the voice of God. Because God, they, the two were agreeing with what God said. The ten were saying, no, we can't. It's interesting, though, that if you're looking for a, um, if you're looking for a majority vote around you to determine what you're going to do, nine times out of ten, it's going to lead you in a path opposite of the voice of God. You've got to be willing to push against the grain. You've got to be willing to be forsaken, to be persecuted, for people to to hate you even. You've got to be willing to do that in order to pursue the Lord. You've really got to deny yourself. Isn't that what Jesus said? In order for you to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then follow me. There's a <clears throat> There's a real tragedy in the church today that says if I do everything that God wants me to do everything is perfect and everything looks good and it's easy and I don't I don't have to struggle any you know and I even see this with with counseling and deliverance type ministries people will come in they will experience a great measure of freedom in that time they'll they'll the lies will be exposed. They will um, just encounter the truth that sets them free. And then they, they, there's sometimes this belief system, because I experienced this measure of freedom, that I now go out and I'll never have this problem again or I'll never be faced with temptation or I'll never have any struggle again because I experienced the Lord, I encountered the Lord. And then when it happens, it's almost like they're deflated and they say, oh, well, I didn't get it at all. And they, then they just simply cave and give in. Yeah, that's right to whatever measure of freedom they've experienced, thinking that you know, what, you, what you receive from the Lord, the enemy for sure will try to rob you of. Any word of truth, the enemy tries to continually um, obstruct that truth from having its, its, its roots grounded inside of you because it knows the power of truth, yet we don't know the power of truth. And we don't guard that truth in our hearts. And we just simply, when obstacles come and, and there is pressure placed on us, we just simply cave in and give in to that pressure. But the Lord, is, 
The Lord is continually declaring to us that if you will hear my voice, if you'll obey the things that I place before you, you will succeed. You will accomplish what I put before you. The, the only problem is between here and what we view as success, there's a lot of stuff. You know, the, the phrase that Chris Valentin uses is, there's hell in the hallway. From one door to the other, from the door where we were to the, to the other side of freedom, there's hell in the hallway. And, and, what, and I, you know, I heard that this evening when I was praying, is don't be discouraged when you face obstacles. Don't get discouraged when, th- when pressure mounts, when you are actually doing what God says, you're obeying His voice, you're pursuing in obedience to the things that He's placed in your heart, don't get depressed or don't get uh, distracted when things come against you. And at the same time, don't feel overwhelmed when you're pursuing God with all your heart and yet He still uncovers other things and disciplines your heart. You know what I'm saying? Even for me personally, there have been moments in my own life where I felt this extreme high in God. You know, like, oh, whew, we got somewhere. Like, there was a measure of breakthrough. There were some things that I felt like, man, you know, we're really going somewhere now. And then the next day, the Lord begins to deal with me about other things. And it's like, oh, I thought we were got through this stuff, and now it's completely not. You know, there's things that's not going on that, and there's other deeper things that God's wanting to work out. You understand that? You know, and it's just the simplicity of living day by day through the Word of God and the voice of God, being led by the Spirit. That's a very simple life, it, and it requires just that simple devotion to the Lord. And um, but there are continual things that are being thrown at us to try to make what is so simple complex. You know, and our choices complicate when we're not simply yielding to the Spirit, following the leading of the Spirit of God, just simply obeying the Word of God. When we when we mix the Word of God with the world's way of things, it complicates things and makes things so very um, hard to swallow. And then then, like you said, the simple things, the fruit, becomes. Uh, I want this. I want more cake, or I want more of this, and it draws you into those things. You know, even with that scripture that we're just reading here in Hebrews, it says you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. It's not, not only did, did that sweets draw you away from the fruit, but it actually hardens you against the fruit because now I just want more and more sweets. You become addicted to those things. You become enticed by those things. Isn't it interesting that, um, that people actually learn to cope with their stress and their weights so much that um, that they don't even realize they have any issue. And they enter into an environment where the peace of God is present and all of a sudden they're like, they freak out. What is this? You know what I'm saying? And when God begins to move and all of a sudden things get lifted off of them or things get broken and they turn things over to the Lord, they walk up and say, oh, I can breathe. I didn't know I couldn't even breathe. I, and that illustration I can give you is when I was young and had braces, you know, they crank them in things every two or three weeks. And so I was used to my mouth hurting all the time. To such a degree, because I never took medicine, I never did any of that whack stuff. I just let it, my mouth get hardened to that thing. And, and I had braces for, I can't remember, three or four years. And I remember when I got them off, 
how the sensation was so very weird because I didn't realize it until I got them off that I was so used to the pain that when I didn't have it, I thought something was wrong. So I was so used to biting down on my teeth and to try to get them to set in there and get them used to because the more you bit, the, the less pain it was. And then when I didn't have that issue, it was like, you know, I didn't realize all these habits and stuff that I'd formed and the ways I'd learned to cope with the pain. And um, it was just unusual. I felt weird, you know. And a lot of times in our weirdness, our, we feel uncomfortable because it, it breaks us out of our normal routine, our normal stuff, that as crazy as it seems, it's almost like it's better to go back to slavery than to live in a place of freedom. That's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. They actually set up a coup to overthrow Moses as their leader and to go back to Egypt. Now, they'd already crossed the Red Sea. They'd already been freed. But they were still willing to go back to an army that was destroyed. I mean, the army was destroyed. They were still willing to submit themselves to slavery. It would be better to be in slavery than to pursue freedom. Because freedom has so many more options. Freedom requires so much more of you. Freedom requires you to be powerful. Freedom requires you to to continue to not just trust what the Lord says, but to act and to follow Him, to pursue Him. That you, you have responsibility. And the weight of responsibility in the eyes of people who've been slaves is greater than the weight of the slavery itself. Now, we know that's not true, but that's the deception of sin. So it's just easier to live in that place of captivity. Because in prison, you ain't got to worry about nothing. You're told when you sleep. You're told when you wake. You're told when you get out. When you go back in. You're told when you eat. I mean, you're basically every area of your life is governed. And a lot of times what people want is they don't really want freedom. They just want they want someone to take responsibility for them because they really don't want to be responsible. And um, and so their form of rest is not really genuine rest. It's still under heaviness. It's still under being dictated and being ruled over. You know what I'm saying? And so they think they're in rest because they don't have no responsibility, but in reality they're still imprisoned. There, there, there is that one of the high, that one of the greatest stressful places in prison, right? Yeah. But they don't have no responsibility, do they? You would think, if, of all the places in the world, the place that should be the most restful place in in that line of thinking, the less responsibility I have, the 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 greater rest I can have. Well, they don't have no responsibility. You would feel like they would have the greatest place of rest, right? They don't have to worry about where their meals would come from. They get fed three meals a day. They got shelter. They're taken care of. They got armed guards all around them. You know. Yet it's the great place where greatest fear, greatest stress is involved. Why? Because they've been stripped down their responsibility so much, and only there's only rest in the place of freedom. There's only rest in the place of freedom, because. Freedom is the result of faith. When we put our faith in God, there's a freedom that takes place. Because how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And what is the Word of God? The Word is truth. And truth sets you free. And what is the Spirit? Being led by the Spirit is being led into liberty because He's the Spirit that liberates us. It's not that He liberates us to just do whatever we want to do, but He liberates us to be who we were intended to be from the original design. It's one thing to have a to have a lawnmower and using it for its purpose and going out and cutting the lawn. But if you try to use a lawnmower to cook your food, you're going to have a really hard time. You're going to get frustrated and you're never going to get what you you want. 
You know what I'm saying? And most of the time what sin does is it says you can have what you want through this way. But reality is you can never get, you can never have a steak cooked on the top of a carburetor of a lawnmower to the degree if it was cooked on the right function in the right place on the grill. You're never going to get the same taste. It's going to taste like grass and gas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Grass and gas is going to be your steak flavoring. That's what happens when we when we ignore the voice of God and we listen to other voices. It's, it not only deceives us, but it hardens our heart to being who God's wanting us to be. And it's in that place that we experience greater freedom. What's so beautiful about the New Covenant is um, God's not... It's not that you don't have any requirements. You don't have any discipline. It's just it's transferred from outside guards to inward guards. And what's so amazing is we get to choose whether or not we get guarded or not. We get to choose whether we walk in peace or not. You realize that? That's a choice you have. Like, you choose whether you're going to walk in peace or not. Like, it's not like you have to pray and, oh God, I need peace. No, no, no. We make a choice whether or not we walk in peace or not. Peace is a choice. Joy is a choice. Righteousness is a choice. It's a choice that we choose. And, and how do we maintain the integrity of that choice? It's through continual pursuit of Him and His presence. Because it's in His presence that we have those things. And so it's choosing the goal of my day is to know Him and to be known by Him. But the object of my day is to, is to pursue Him and follow what His voice would lead me to do. That becomes the thing I pursue today. Then, then faith is continually activated because what you're hearing you're seeing, you're receiving, you're you're encountering him, and um, and you're constantly guarding against anything that would pull you away from him. You know, it's and so the place of rest can only be found in him. We can't we can't get rest just simply through our own mechanisms and our own own self medication or through our own devices or choices as far as doing things the world's way. We can't find rest in those things because they offer that. They offer, oh, you'll find rest or, oh, you'll be happy. Oh, you'll whatever, you know, that, you're, that you have this inward need to fulfill. Oh, you'll get this or get that. But the reality is it's only in God that we can find those things. Those things are shallow at best that the world offers. They may offer something that for a brief moment is fun. Or, or causes you to be distracted from the reality of where your heart is. And for a moment, the pressure seems to be off. But what happens when you come off, when, what happens when that, that brief joy or that brief, and it's a false joy, that brief happiness, that brief excitement, that brief adrenaline rush, that brief stress reliever, what happens when that, that is gone is now what mounts up is greater than what I had when I first started. It's kind of like taking... Like today's medicines, you, you take the medicine, say, for a headache, but all the uh, side effects are diarrhea, you know, liver failure, stroke, or, you know, death, ultimately, <laughs> yeah. And so I'm taking this to resolve the pain right now, but I'm actually just shortening my life by three years by staying on a medication that alleviates my pain for now, but I'm not going to live for, instead of dealing with the root of stuff and really getting down to the source and finding true Freedom, true joy, true happiness, true rest, and it's only found in, in our in our in our 
intimate relationship with the Lord. You know, isn't it interesting that the the prophetic, which is really the voice piece of God, to speak things of God, that one of the earmarks of the prophetic is to reconnect the hearts of children to fathers and father to children. You know what I'm saying? It's relational. And when we hear the voice of God, it's always for the purpose of relationship. Even in Him telling you to do stuff, it's to create in us a way of thinking or a way of doing that would actually increase our capacity to go deeper in our relationship with Him. Like everything God does, and even in His discipline, is to create in us a greater place for Him to dwell. Like as simple as, you know, go and, you know, like the, the trivial things like I was talking about, you know, when I was in Bible college and really pressing the Lord and the Lord would say, go pick up the paper in the bathroom at Walmart, you know, while I was in there. Or clean the mirror off in Walmart. Or take the um, carts and park them in there. And I didn't have a cart, you know. I'm driving around the parking lot pushing carts in there. And I'm like, why am I doing this in the 30 degree, degree below temperature? Yet I felt compelled to just simply obey what God was telling me to do because I'd ask God to speak to me and He began to speak to me and and I didn't say God only speak to me if you say such and such and such and such. I was saying God speak to me when He spoke to me. How many times does God speak to you? You didn't want to hear what He said to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots. I mean, most of the time when God, God would speak to me even in services and stuff as a young man, things that He would speak to me, I'd be like, oh God, I don't want to say that. I do not want to talk about that. I want to talk about something nice and fluffy, you know, that will make everybody feel good. And and the reality was, was God, yes, God was encouraging people, yes, God was saying things, but there was things that God was wanting to say to challenge people to go deeper with Him. And if all we can hear from God is just those encouraging, fluffy words, that's all we hear from Him. And what's going to happen when we hear those challenging discipline words that demand your life? You know? What are we going to do then? We're, in other words, if all we can receive from Him is just the, the word that says, you know, you're amazing, you're awesome, and all those things are true. If all we can receive is those words, and but we we no longer can hear the words that say, you know, your attitude right there sucks, and you continue down this path, and it will create such devastation not in your relationships with people, but with God. Can we hear those words too? You know, can we take the correction of the Lord? Can we take the rebuke of the Lord? Can we receive those things and not harden our hearts to Him? You know, in some fashions, the Bible says that in the end times, that people will they will gather to themselves teachers that will just tickle their ears. You know, and I made a commitment to the Lord when I was really young as, Lord, I don't want to just be someone that says the politically correct thing and just does the things that makes everybody happy. I want to be the one that, that will get in people's faces because that's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to get in my face. I wanted somebody to say, you can't go that way. I wanted someone to say, you know, I love you enough to say that type of attitude is going to ruin your life. You know, so I, I, I said, you know what, Lord, I are myself. It wasn't that I was just just simply agreeing to, to just focus on negative things. Not at all. You know, I was constantly, 
um, saying, Lord, what is it that I can release hope in people and cause them to begin to dream with God? And what can I say that will encourage and, and ignite the, the desires and dreams inside of them that you place there? But at the same time, I was not ignoring other things that were robbing them of their dreams. And you know, it, it's interesting that the prophetic was what? To restore the relationship of a father to a child. What's a father's job? It's to bring identity. What's a father's job? It's to bring correction. What's the father's job to rebuke? Well, unfortunately, what we've had is we've had people that weren't fathers trying to enforce. You know, if 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 someone came into your house, you got kids, say you're the father. Someone from down the road comes in your house, starts beating on your kids. We got a problem. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because they don't have no authority in that place. They may feel a responsibility because they saw your kid run across the road and do something they shouldn't have done. But when they went in there and started, when they yeah, ding, when, when, when they started to beat on your kids, they stepped over into an authority that they didn't have. You know, authority's got to match responsibility, and and we need to be able to submit ourselves to the Father of Heaven, and to allow Him to go deep and discipline our hearts. And that discipline sometimes is extremely painful. You know, extremely painful. In my walk with the Lord, it, it, and at the same time, as, as painful as it is, as He cuts into those things and deals with those things, there's such healing, there's such rest, there's such freedom, there's such joy. Oh, there's such a release of the things I've been carrying when I've yielded to the discipline of the Lord. You know, he, even, he even talks about if you, um, in this same, in Hebrews, if you go down, some other chapters there he talks about, you know, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Why? Because it's going to produce a harvest. It's going to produce a harvest of right living. Look over there at that, at Hebrews um, chapter 12. Therefore, what's the therefore of? We just talked about in chapter 11, all the people who live by faith, we saw how they, they had great promises fulfilled. We also saw how they died without promises being fulfilled. How they were sawn in two. How they were tortured. How they were beaten. How they were persecuted. I mean, the list is pretty long of people that had great, amazing successes and people who in the world's eyes were absolute failures. Yet God lists them in the heroes of the faith chapter. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because they trusted Him no matter what. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. They were all examples of the life of faith. Let, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates the perfect, the, and perfects our faith. He begins it, he starts it, and he, he ends it. He completes it. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He disregarding its shame. Now he is sitting on, seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? 
If God doesn't discipline you as He does all of His children, it means that you're illegitimate. They're not really His children at all. And since we respect the earthly fathers who discipline us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? What is His discipline for? It's, it's so that we can live forever. His discipline is so that we can become mature sons and daughters in the kingdom. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. Say that. It's always good for us. So that we might share in His holiness. And no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many, and make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. He was too late for repentance even though he begged with bitter tears. I mean, just the reality that that if we don't accept the discipline of the Lord, that what there what was intended to be shaped in us cannot be shaped. What was intended to be the outflow of our lives no longer becomes the outflow of our lives. What was intended to become um, an amazing gift to the world to see His grace and action through you becomes a place, a monument of just deadness, of bondage. It's the discipline of the Lord that, that enables us to be cultivated, shaped, you know, like the potter shapes the clay. He gets in there and He presses in on our hearts. He presses in on our lives. It's not that we have to walk around heavy, but discipline in itself does feel like there's something being yanked out of you. And it is. There's something being yanked out of you. Why? For the purpose, purpose of something greater to be put in. And if we just simply look at the pain, and our goal in life, like we talked about, is to avoid pain, then we actually will avoid the things that God would do in us that would bring us the greatest joy. Because what did He say here? He said, uh, by all the way back up, it says... Um, in verse, in verse 2, it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Do what? How do we, we run the race before us. We live a life of faith. How do, how do we do this? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross. He endured it. What, what did He arm Himself to endure the cross? It was for the joy that was set before Him. He knew that there was a greater goal. He knew there was something greater on the other side. And if we just simply live this life that this is the only life that we have. You know, it's like, um, what's that What's that thing that the people put on Facebook or Twitter? Um, YOLO, you only live once. Yeah. You live, you're, when you're born again, you live forever. Should be, you live forever. <laughs> what's that one? Yofer, Yofie, Yofie. You'll, you'll feel, yeah. You live forever, and so you're not you're not just simply you're not just simply feeling like well if I don't I'm missing opportunities. No, 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 no. You're making opportunities when you yield to the discipline of the Lord. It's not that you miss out on all the other stuff. And that you know, and that's the that's the the reality is we've got to live our lives inside of, in light of eternity. 
We can't live our life in in just simply I've got to get what I get now or that's all I'm going to have. That's a poverty mindset. That's a mindset that says I don't have anything else. That's a mindset that says that Jesus didn't die to give me eternal life. He just died to give me the best life now. He didn't. He gave you to, not only to give you life, but life more abundantly. What's, what's life more abundantly? It's a life that continues on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But how many knows that there are things that we have to endure in this life for the joy that's set before us? What's the joy that's set before us? It's the eternity of forever with God. You know, Paul says it's better, it's better that I go on to be with the Lord. Why? Because I'll be with the Lord. He's my goal. Paul said, it's my goal to be with Him. Yet, if I stay, then I know it would be for your good, for your encouragement, for your strength, for your edification. And so because of that, I make the choice to continue on. Enduring the suffering and pain, enduring the things that he was going through, knowing the joy that was set before him. It's, it's interesting that athletes can endure all kinds of punishment to their bodies to train for the joy of, of playing a game. A game. That's it, a game. And what does that game do? Well, in some cases that game does get them millions of dollars and get them fame and so forth. But in the end of the day, it's still a game. You know? How much more would we endure and let the Lord go deep and deal with us? And But we, you know, we can't... We'll never go to the depths of what God's wanting to do in us and through us and become who God wants us to be if we just simply try to avoid pain. Because in the end, we'll end up avoiding God. Because one of the most painful things in Christianity is your first encounter with God, realizing how holy and good God is and how wretched and horrible you are. How undeserving and unworthy you are of the blood that He shed for you. I mean, there's that reality. I mean, it's painful. Repentance flows out of godly sorrow. Repentance flows out of godly sorrow. It flows out of that deep pain of what your sin has done before a holy God and how it has separated you from Him. And so what do we do? We don't run away from that pain. We press through that pain and we run to Him. And we give Him our lives. And now on the other side of the cross, do we just simply think that now that we've given Him our lives, there's no more pain? No, there's still pain. There's still pain to be worked through. There's pain in loving someone who doesn't reciprocate the love back. There's pain in reaching out to people that reject the good news. There's pain in doing what's right and being persecuted for it. There's pain involved in those things. And if pain becomes the source of our success, then it becomes the thing that the devil uses to absolutely derail you from pursuing the will of God for your life. We've got to learn to work through the pain and find out what's the source. Because most of the time, the things that are exposing the pain in our heart exposes deeper things inside of us. Lies that we've believed. Ways of thinking that are absolutely contrary to the kingdom. But also there's something else that pain can also do that is, is really unusual. Is that pain can create a deeper hunger for the things of God. If you let it. If you let it. If you focus on the right thing. And what did he say here? He said... We're to do what? To keep our eyes or our focus on Jesus. The champion. The one who won. Who was victorious. Who initiates and perfects our faith. 
Verse 3 says, Think of all the hostility He endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not given your lives in your struggle against sin. Jesus gave His life for us, shed His blood. And there, there literally are, are thousands and thousands of people who are literally giving their lives in their struggle against sin, against mankind that's persecuting them, coming against them. There literally are people for their witness to Christ are literally laying their lives down. More so now than ever before in the history of the world. Which is really remarkable in our comfortable houses and our nice cars and our easy roads to ride down and access to food everywhere. And, and we can lose sight of the reality that there are literally people that are that just in the name of Jesus are putting their life on the line. That's, that's a reality. And Yet, yet, the Lord has called all of us, every one of us, to enjoy the benefits of His, our relationship with Him. And out of that relationship, out of that relationship, we're able to um, fulfill everything that He wants for us. It's out of that relationship that we're able, to, the overflow of that relationship, that ministry is birthed. That lives can be touched. But we cannot determine the overflow of that relationship based on how good we feel. And this is the big this is the big kicker. And we're gonna use this one to this will be my kicker for the night, okay? <laughs> it's how many times do we feel qualified because we feel alright with God? We use that as the qualifying measuring stick to feel okay, I can do something for God or I can minister to this person. I feel I feel good today. No. Your feelings is not the measure of whether or not you can minister and love somebody. Whether you don't have no pain or not is not the measure of whether or not you can are anointed or not. If we simply measure our ability to minister to people based on what we feel and the the limited amount of pain that we go through, then the reality is, is we'll probably never step out. Because it's many times it's in stepping out and showing the love of God and ministering to others around you that the the, the breakthrough that's needed, the the deeper encounter that you're longing for is revealed. That the source of strength in reaching out to help others is found, you know? And I love the scripture that declares in, in Corinthians it says, you know, when I'm weak, in my weakness I'm made strong. Or your strength is perfected in me. Let's look at that scripture. Let's go to. Um, Where is it at? I think it's in Second Corinthians. It is Second Corinthians. And then this is in the New King James Version in Second Corinthians twelve nine. It says, "He said to me, this is the Lord's response: My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. And he's not talking about sickness here. Okay, Infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because in those places, I no longer am depending on my strength. I'm no longer depend looking to me or what I can get. I then, because grace is what? How, does, how do you receive grace? By putting your faith in God. Well, when you're strong, you don't sometimes feel like you need to trust God for something, right? Mm -hmm. 
But in weak, in weakness, what happens? You realize your need for God. And so what is it? You stretch out. You look for. You, you lend your ear to listen to what He would have to say. You're, you're longing for, pressing in, searching out the Lord. Why? Because you need Him. Because you are not capable. So it says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I love what it says there. It says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we become weak before the Lord, Realize that we can't, like Jesus said, Jesus made this very clear, I can do nothing of myself. So amazing about the Greek word nothing is it means nothing. There wasn't an, there wasn't an exception. He literally was saying, I can do nothing without Him. And, and how many times do we, do we do things without Him? How many times is He nowhere on the, the page, if you will? In our in our stuff that we're because we can I got this or I can handle this, but it's in that place of weakness that we truly depend completely on God. Now I I, I preached a message several years ago about serving the Lord in our strength, and um, I talked about that you know because we it's easy it's easy for us to serve Him in our weakness because we ain't got no options, you know. But when we are strong, when we things are going well, when we do have answer to prayer, when God is manifesting in ways and things, can we still serve Him in our strength and still to be dependent to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit? We still pursue Him as diligently as we did when there was no other option but to pray, you know, because everything else was exhausted. We still serve Him in that measure, with that hunger, with that determination. And I would dare say that those that can serve Him in their strength to the capacity that, the, that they would in their weakness, that they become giants in the faith. Really. Why? Because it's in the midst of great options that you show the value of your choice. When you've got a lot of options, you really show how much you value your choice because you choose that. I love what... Um, not even sure who said it. I read it a couple weeks ago, but um, your ability, your yes, is so powerful because when you, we, you know, we, in Christianity, it seems like we always emphasize your no. You say no to this, say no to that, say no to this, say no to this. But really, our emphasis should be on our yes because our yes is saying no to everything else. Whatever we're saying yes to, in order to pursue that, we're saying no to everything else. Mm-hmm. And so, what we should protect is not. Our source of protection is not in the no's, but in the yes. It's the thing you say yes to that you eliminate other things. When I say yes to the call, it eliminates all the other options. When I say yes to what the Lord is, is saying to me, I'm eliminating all the other voices. When I say yes, you know, and so we should guard our yeses for what's really important. Even, you know, and this is something I have had to learn even being a pastor and dealing with people and so forth, is me saying yes to this one means I'm saying no to everybody else for that time block. You know what I'm saying? And so it's not that I'm having to... It's not that I can't minister to... to you, can't, you can't minister to everybody. And you've got to... So what do I have to do? I have to say, okay, Lord, what is, it, who, what is going on here? And so I'm very... I don't just flip, flippantly just say yes, 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 yes. It's a matter of, okay, Lord... I want to reserve that because, you know, what if God says, I want you today 
to be with me all day today? Do you have the capacity to say no to everything else by saying yes to God? And the reason we can't say yes to God a lot of times is because we already said yes to a bunch of other stuff. You know, that's closed the door. So we want to we want to reserve the yes for Him. And interesting that all the promises of God are yes and amen. That He's already said yes to us in those things. Yet if we find it very hard to say yes to the things He He calls for us to do, or requires of us. All right, I kind of wandered all over the place. <laughs> those. We talked about discipline, we talked about faith, talked about rest, talked about yes. <laughs> no, and I didn't even really weed through what I was going to discuss. We kind of went off, found some things in the ground there. Let's just pray first before we go any further. Questions or discussion? Or I just pray that... Um, that God, our hearts would be bare before You. They would be open and transparent and vulnerable. God, that we would allow Your finger to point out what You want us to pursue and also to, to point out what You want to be removed. That we would allow Your hand to, um, to search out our hearts. And we just give You permission to do that. Just have your way in us. We embrace the discipline of the Lord. It's not that we're just looking for pain, but God, we also recognize that our goal in life is not to avoid pain. Our goal in life is to, to know You, to walk with You. And in order to do that, this flesh has to die. This flesh and its voice and its reasoning try to distract us from You. Those things have to die in us. Sometimes things try to resurrect itself in our hearts. And God, we don't want to be wrestling with a dead man. But we truly want to die. And so Lord, we, we embrace Your discipline. We embrace Your correction. We embrace even the pain that's involved knowing the joy that's set before us. God, just pray that in the process that we would not allow our pain to dictate who we are and where we're going. That it would not, we would not allow it to disqualify us from being able to minister the truth, minister the gospel. That we would actually recognize that our pain is actually some things that are qualifying us. The things that we're going through are actually qualifying us to become powerful ministers of your gospel. The things that we're facing and the trials and the temptations and the things that are surrounding us and the pressures that are being mounted against us, they're actually pushing us towards you if we allow it. And if we, if we turn to You, if we make the choice to say yes to You and no to the distractions, that it's actually molding and shaping us just as the potter shapes the clay. And so Lord, we ask that You continue to mold and shape our hearts, that our heart would be on that wheel spinning around and round and round and Your hands would go deep to shape in us the vessel that You desire us to be that could be used by You. We recognize according to the way the, potter, the pottery works that once it's shaped, it's put in the fire. The fire is hot and it's intense and it's demanding and it, it draws out the moisture. It draws out the Word that's in us. 
God, if we're put in the fire and we don't have uh, that right amount of moisture in us, then we can be dried out too quick and we end up cracking. We become fragile. But God, You want us to be used that we a vessel that will endure, that will last to the end. And so God, may we just soak in Your Word. May we allow Your Word to be the thing that we live and breathe on. Jesus said that I don't, you know, that I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And God, may the water of your word, may it permeate every fiber of our being. May we let the word of God come in and become our source, become our strength, become our, our place of direction. May we yield to the, to the Spirit of God who illuminates and causes the word to come alive. And, and may your voice become the thing that we learn to heed and listen to and look for. In everything that we do, recognizing that it's only through You that we're able to do what You've called us to do. May we not be ashamed of our weakness, but in our weakness may we recognize that Your strength is perfected in us. May we lay down our ability to pick up Yours. May we pray that. And I just pray that even in the midst of enduring, that they, we would see the joy that's set before us and we would arm ourselves with that joy. And not let the pain or the struggle or the things that we're going through, the discipline that we're facing, letting those things dictate how we feel. But God, that we would remember the joy of life and life more abundantly, the eternal life that we have in You. And we would recognize that what You're doing in us is for a greater purpose. It's working in us for a much greater glory. And our aim is not just simply to just to get free of the devil but our aim is to go to that place of worship with You and not just encounter the glory, but to live in the glory and to go from glory to glory to glory. God, may we not be satisfied with just one encounter that happened two months ago or two years ago or 20 years ago, but God, may we be a people that are hungry for more and more of You that want to encounter a fresh encounter with You today. God, that we wouldn't try to live off the encounters of yesterday. But God, that we would press into You for today and seek You for today and look at You for today and we put our faith in You today. And in doing so, we would experience such grace, such empowerment, such strength that flows from the Spirit of God that we would become everything You've called us to be. I thank You for just shaping and molding us to become that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.